to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. We are your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. This is Real Estate Coaching Radio. Julie, welcome to today's radio show. Thank you. It's going to be a fun show as always. I've got a few quick shout-outs both from the Facebook page and email whenever you're ready, and then we will resume our talk about the biggest buyer mistakes happening out there today. So I had a fun series of conversations today, Julie, with um, some coach or some uh, brokers, office managers. Mm-hmm. As you guys may or may not know, Julie and I personally coach a lot of brokers and office managers and team leaders and things of that nature. And uh, yeah, I was just talking with this um, very nice couple who own a brokerage, opened up another brokerage, and we were talking about the, the elements of a perfect uh, brokerage, and we were kind of like, they were worrying, and we're going to do a podcast around this, but I just kind of had this random thought that uh, the brokerages that are the most successful have a tendency to be the ones where the office itself is the most ratty. And I thought that was kind of, you know, I've always observed that, but I never actually verbalized it, and I literally just hung up with these guys, so I thought I'd bring this to the show in case it can help anybody else. And I thought, well, why is that true? Because I, I was putting these, connect, these thoughts in my mind as these guys were thinking about spending all this money for fancy offices and fancy chairs and fancy this and fancy that. And I thought, well, why is it true that some of the most productive, dollar-earning offices in the, in the world are essentially the ones that you'd want to spend the least amount of time in? And I thought, then I had the little epiphany, well, for that very reason, you don't want to spend a lot of time in them. And so, you know, we're going to do a podcast coming up, and the reason you don't want an overly cushy real estate office is because your agents will spend too much time in the office spending your money and, you know, drinking too much coffee and whatnot and not out there with the buyers and the sellers, not out there actually doing what it takes for them to make themselves money and make money for the business. It's fascinating how a lot of the brokers and office managers out there, they get into this coddling mindset with the agents, and it's like they're going to over-coddle them. So whoever gives them the most cups of coffee, the most comfortable chair, the prettiest office, the best parking spot, Fancy the stuff. most fire leads, as some of you guys. Yeah, you guys keep on making these mistakes and how you form a business, and you think none of you make decisions, it seems. I've yet to talk with a broker, and I'm sure they're out there, who's building their business around profit. They're all building their business around these set of rules that were relevant back when agents were not demanding 90% commission splits and back when brokers weren't you know, being okay with making 5% pre-tax margins. You know, now that we're in that very low, almost no margin business, as you know, at you guys who are real estate brokers, the paradigms of the the rules that you're you know governing yourselves by, when you build out this office space, is insanity. And as soon as the market changes, as soon as the economy changes, you guys with these fancy market centers, you guys with all this high fixed costs, and if you're in the in, if you're in the process of uh, you know scaling your real estate brokerage and you're adding you know agents, you need more space. I absolutely positively want to have a conversation with you so I can make sure that we make you guys build businesses around profit and not the old rules. And again, the old rules were written back in the 60s and 70s, back like 1960s and 1970s, uh, back when uh, brokers were making a good, you know, the commission splits aren't what they are now. And brokerages were actually profitable. And so, you know, the most productive, most dollar productive brokerages I've ever run across are the ones where the agents get there, they turn their paperwork in, they don't linger, they just leave, and they go out and work with another they customer. They lather, rinse, repeat. 
they're not pretend working at the office. Yeah, exactly. And that's what the that's the so when when Julie and I walk into real estate brokerages, if we you know we're walking around and you know the office managers and the brokers always say hey, you know they're taking us around introducing to all the agents, and I always you know it's so true when you walk around you see that the fancy of the offices the almost always the least productive that the agents are, that the the more uh, ratty the offices are. The, the higher margins the profits are that the broker is making and the agents are also making more money because they have less office fees and maybe you know all the other things are you know it's all trickling down so they're making more money too the happier the office is the more cohesive the office is that you know really the the stronger the office is in the event that there's any kind of downturn or shifting in the economy as a lot of you guys are experiencing now so look if you're a broker and you want to have that conversation, if you want me to tell you what I've learned from talking with literally thousands of brokers and office managers, what's working, what's not, if you're tired of basically having people tell you that, hey, guess what, you're doing great if you're only making 3% or 5% pre-tax margins. If you're tired of that, if you know that that's not right, and you, if you know that as soon as the economy shifts, you're not going to be able to keep your business open, then let's have a conversation, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com, or you can email Julie at Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Brokerages, team leaders, office managers, anyone we can help, and we're and I'll promise you, here's going to be my guiding light when we're talking with you, is you're going to be um, hearing from somebody who always puts agents first. So I'm going to show you guys how to build an agent-centric business where it's going to help agents build be incredibly strong entrepreneurs because when they're on sound financial footing, so will you. And it doesn't work nowadays any other way. So there it is. And that's, again, office managers, brokers, what have you, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com. So, Julie, you've got some comments from Facebook you'd like to share with folks. Yes, from Melanie Elizabeth, one of our premier coaching clients in Houston. She writes, I followed up and followed up, and here we are. My greatest lesson in this program so far has been follow-up is key. It took the following, the delivery of a pre-listing package, suggesting uh, suggestions on how to fix their home up, and to follow up to update them on market conditions, talking to them about average days on the market, and typical start-to-finish time to get them to list. They had no idea it could take three months or more from the time we started to actually getting to the closing table. We're not working with these timelines on a daily basis, but the retail we are all working with these timelines, but the regular homeowner is not. I knew they needed to move, and coming to, from a place of service, I knew I had to educate them more on the process so they could make the best decision for them. It feels so good to be genuine and to know that you're helping people. It's also my first time using 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE, and I'm excited to make this listing at least th- into at least three more closings just waiting on brochures to be finished and we will be good to go if you have a client looking for an affordable way to get into the inner loop of houston let's make it happen so i love how she threw some prospecting in the end to her fellow <laughs> facebook <did>. colleagues <laughs> well uh studied there but nice job melanie elizabeth you took this listing because you followed up because you took the time to educate your folks because you were aware that how the market's working is not necessarily how they're thinking and you took the time to educate them. And she also has a picture of her sign uh, in their yard with, of course, she's doing an open house, and she's using the 800 number. She's got her extension all set up. So nice job following and implementing, and the market's already paying you back for that. So keep up the good work, Melanie Elizabeth in Houston. Lather, rinse, repeat is your job. Back to you, Tim. It's imp- Julie, it's important that we make uh, everyone understand that what Melanie was just describing was basically a presentation. She was just describing when she says educate the fill-in-the-blank, the buyer, the seller, right? She was essentially knowing that her highest and truest purpose is being of service to others. And for her to do that with integrity, 
uh, ethically, she has to provide them with what's truly going on in the real estate market. All that is is a presentation. Premier coaching members, anyone who's thinking about becoming a premier coaching member, which should be literally the tens of thousands of you who are listening, you need to seriously use the listing presentation, the whole listing process we give you. We talk about that all the time. But on the buyer side, guys, we also have a really kick-ass buyer presentation. When you, you're a brand-new realtor, you just got your license, you don't know what the hell to do, you're meeting in front of a buyer this Saturday, don't worry about it. Use the buyer presentation. We tell you how to present each page. It's very simple. And then when you do that – you are going to be amazed how quickly the buyers want to work with you because most agents, <laughs> I always find this humorous, but it's so true. Most agents have no presentations, have no system, have no nothing. They basically are just winging it, and they winged it for decades. So if you're an experienced, grizzled agent and you're tired of winging it and you want more consistent results, have a system that's going to essentially reinforce you. If you're a brand-new agent, follow a system from day one, and then you'll get – up to the top of the mountain a hell of a lot easier with a lot less stress. So don't be overwhelmed when you're on our private Facebook page for our members and you're reading about these folks' success. It's just because they're following the system. Do the same thing, and you'll experience the same result most likely. So, Julie, let's jump back in where we left off at point nine. Oh, do you have another comment from another Facebook person, or are we good? Uh, I actually – we have a quick little email from Lynn Sherman, who I think – if I have her area code right, is in North Carolina. She just wrote 47 minutes ago, Hi, Julie, I've been listening to you and Tim for a while, although I've not yet signed up for coaching. Well, you know we're going to call you and ask you about all that, but that's okay. <laughs> she says, I've learned so much from your podcast, and they keep me motivated and my mind in the right place. So thank you for listening, Lynn. Um, she writes, one question I have and have not searched into your past podcasts, what are your marketing ideas for second home, vacation home markets like ours? I understand lots of the country has very low days on the market, but for us it's close to 200 days, and many homes do stay on the market for even over a year or more. Seller's motivation doesn't always match buyer's motivation. Many sellers here just don't have to sell, or they are firmer with what they think their home is worth. Of course, price is an issue with listings that stay on the market for a long time, and that's a continual dis discussion with our sellers. But do you have any special tips for getting a home sold in a vacation home market where homes are staying on the market this long? On a side note, so, I would Billy love to have the Vanguard Index breakdown that you use. I'm almost done. Okay. And as said, not a client right. yet, and that's from Lynn in North Carolina. Back to you. So the answer to the Vanguard thing is it's on the private Facebook page. Um, just go there. You can scroll down. You can read it, and there it is. Uh, the second, the first question she asked about, um, and here's here's the traditional answer. You have to, and this is not what I, this is. This is the BS traditional answer. And uh, I promised Gina, our producer, that I was going to stop swearing again. She yelled at me again, so I'm going to try to do my best and stop swearing. But I am going to use little, you know, BSs. Because so the BS answer to your question is. This is what you're going to have everyone else tell you. You need to target where the buyers are coming from, and you need to, to figure out, like, you need to follow the demographics and the sociographics, and you need to do direct mail. You need to do all this fancy, high-level Mickey Mouse BS. Okay, that's what normal, you know, nonsensical answer, that's the traditional answer to your question. But here's the real answer to your question. The only way to offset a market like that is to take more listings. Working buyers in a market like that is a nightmare because there's too much for people to choose from. But what you have to do is you have to take more listings. And I get it. Second home folks are never as motivated to sell as primary. And if they're in a situation where their houses are actually worth less than what they originally paid for them and it's a second home, then they're even less motivated. I We've coached literally, I don't even know, thousand maybe people that are in the exact same situation as you. 
So the only way to offset that is becoming is taking more listings. And you now here's the blessings of a market like that. Expireds are everywhere. Fizbos who try to fizbo always end up listing. So if you have ten listings, uh, you're not going to be very successful in a market like that. You probably need fifty to seventy-five, which, by the way, was the paradigm that existed for Julie and I when we sold real estate. We needed typically thirty, forty, fifty listings at all times to accomplish our goals. That's really how it worked. You are in the same exact situation. So whatever you think you need, if you had 20 listings right now, realistically, given your average days in the market, use the magic number formula, which is by the, uh, part of the real estate treasure map, and you'd figure out what your magic number was. So make sure you're doing that. Real estate treasure map is free when you request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Remember, I told you that, Lynn. Okay, so download that. Fill out that form. You'll find out what your number is. But you probably need, realistically, if you had 20 listings at all times right now, just imagine that. It's probably realistic to assume that even in a market like yours, where you have ridiculous days in the market, you're still looking at probably four closings per month. Now, if, you, if, if four closings per month, given your average commission, it, you know, that'll equate to, say, 50 units a year. If that meets your financial goals, then that's your number. It's 20 listings. That is your magic number at all times. How do you go about figuring out what that magic number should be? Remember, this is on the listing side. You need to know what your days in the market is. You need to know what the absorption rate is. You need to know what the absorption rate is in these price segments because obviously more expensive stuff is going to take longer to sell. And then you need to basically do some monkey math. It's kind of an educated guess, and then you're going to come up with a magic number. Like you will know intuitively if you've been in the market at all times if I ask what the answer to this question is. Like, here, watch. So if you had 10 listings at all times, how many do you think realistic, realistically in your market would sell more or less just out of the MLS by pricing them right even if they just have okay condition and location, how many would sell? If you're in a normal, if you're in one of the hot markets, it's the answer is probably nine. If you're in a market like what our uh, uh, the email person Lynn, I think would her question, the answer to that for her is probably like maybe one or two, maybe one, right? So maybe only 10% of her 10 would sell per month. So if she wants to have more income, she's going to have to increase the number of listings that she takes. You guys get it? The only way to offset a slowing or adjusting or already slow you know, market, a huge buyer's market, the only way to offset that is not more buyers, is not more marketing and advertising. Those two things will just make you broke. The only way to offset it is more inventory. More inventory, then you basically increase your odds of getting a sale. If you're confused about that, if you're struggling with that, request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. But that is the real, honest-to-God, truthful answer to your question. Julie, anything you'd like to add to that? You want to get well, and, and I would say not even because she's in a second home market. That's in any market where the average days yep. on the market are that long because there's that much inventory. And we do have a lot of listeners who have never experienced that before and are going, huh, how can that be? How is that possible? And so as the markets change, of course, we will be your podcast hosts and walk, walk you through exactly what Tim just said. And you'll be hearing more of that as things change. But, yeah, you know, you, this is why knowing your market data, and Tim, you said even drill down on segments in price ranges and even within certain neighborhoods do better than others. That way you can make some good decisions and know that, you know, to do – maybe your goal is to do two deals per month. It's going to take you ten listings at all times if you're in Lynn's market – but maybe if you're somewhere else, it's only going to take you five listings at all times. You've got to watch it and gauge those things. And that's part of what we're here for is to show you and teach you how to do that 
so that you are not feeling like you're chasing it down all the time. You're actually controlling your business. So ready to get back to the well, buyer mistakes? It is, Go ahead. Let's put a big exclamation mark at the end of the, our little sure. diatribe you know, thus far just so they get it. This is the essence of how you should be running your real estate business, this conversation that Julie and I just had. This is the essence of what makes, makes it so real estate's an incredible, unbelievable gift from the real estate gods. This conversation with regards to knowing how many listings you need at all times. Once you guys understand that basically everything that you want in life is going to come on the other side of knowing what your magic number is, getting to that magic number of listings, and then maintaining that magic number of listings. And if you're in LA, if you're in you know markets where the average commission is going to be 15 grand, you might only need three to five listings, but that means that you're going to have to put all of your best energies every single day. Every single day, consistently, when you don't feel like doing it, you need to do it every single day, get to that magic number of listings, replace what sells along the way. That is your whole complete, total, complete business model, that right there. And, guys, I promise you, all the other stuff that you are distracted by, you're going to need a good CRM probably. You're going to need a good this, the other thing. You're going to need some you know, online marketing to reinforce basically your brand. But those types of things, guys, are purely secondary to focusing on how to become powerful listing agents, determining what your magic number is, getting there, and then maintaining that number. No matter what happens in the economy, let's say the economy turns out to be another 2007 situation, which I seriously doubt if it will be, but if it were – Maybe in your market it already is. It's possible. And let's say your magic number for years has been 20 listings at all times. And let's say the economy gets really bad, so things actually take longer to sell than they have historically for you. Well, then you need to amp it up to 30 to maintain the same amount of revenue. Well, you can do it. You know how to get to 20. You can certainly get to 30. You can maybe even get to 40 and give yourself a raise. So the key to your success long-term and having cash flow in real estate is understanding the power of being a listing agent. And then don't wait. If you're getting your license you know, today, you need to put all your best energies tomorrow on learning how to work with sellers and focusing on targeting sellers. Do not waste time any more than you absolutely positively have to on buyers. Do not waste any money at all ever on buying buyer leads that is the definition of insanity if you don't believe me look at all the people that have basically been doing it forever and how many of them lament the expense that they spent on buying buyer leads just don't do it don't tread into that conversation focus on how to become a powerful listing agent the powerful listing agents are the ones that have been and always will be the ones that control the industry you guys already intuitively know that so stop struggling with it and stop listening to conflicting messages so point number nine, and these are uh, the 14, actually 15 biggest buyer mistakes that you're probably making. Point number nine, okay, so this is uh, show number three. I think we're going to get through most of these today. Point number nine is not being urgent enough with showings, offers, and negotiation. Not being urgent enough with showings, offers, and negotiation. Julie, what did you mean by that? Well, I've got a great example from a recent coaching call I had with one of our great uh, private clients in Nashville, Tennessee, fairly hot market by all measures. And we were going over her numbers. She said she just, you know, her homework was to put two in contract between coaching calls. She said she did it. I asked her how she did it. And she said she actually put somebody in contract, little first time buyer, 150000 And typically her deals are three to 400. I said, do you even, how did you even find something for 150? And how did you get it? Okay, so this plays right into urgency with showings, offers and negotiation. She said, I had to go, I think she said 20 miles north of where she normally works. So she was willing to get out of her backyard, out of her normal wheelhouse geographically, 
She had to find the house that was in decent condition so her buyer could, you know, fall in love with it and, and still be able to deal with it, not too old, not too shabby, et cetera. And she was competing with, I think she said, six other offers. So how was it on something, I mean, I'm surprised at 150, there weren't even more offers, but how did she win? She said because she made it a point to not just find the house, not just be the first to see it, but also to track down the listing agent, to find out what else other than price was important to the sellers and to deliver on it immediately. So there were three or four different places where she could have lost that deal. The first one being, you know, some agents would say, not my cup of tea, too far out of the area, too low, whatever. But she knew that she had a well-qualified, highly motivated person that was going to buy that weekend, so help her God, and she made it happen. So the mistake is not having urgency along the way, which could be converting the lead in the first place, making sure that they're going to the lender and following up, finding out exactly what they're looking for, finding it for them and looking perhaps not even in the MLS. And then, of course, making sure you're the one who wins when you're writing those offers. You know, agents say all the time, Tim, oh, I tried to call the listing agent and they never called me back. Well, how about popping into their office? How about calling their broker, finding out if they're on vacation or not? How about delivering the offer in hand during the showing and leaving it on the counter for the seller to come home to? Urgency matters. You guys are winning your buyer offers when you follow urgency. That's what I meant by it. Back to you. Well, but Julie, it's even, how about this? When you have a buyer that walks out of a house and you guys have used our three timeout script and the buyer says, this is the house I want to buy, you know, to Julie's point, amplifying it perhaps, is how many of you guys are not writing the offer like right freaking there? Pull out your notebook computer, pull out the, whip up the DocuSign, click the buttons, send the offer, right? How many yeah, of you guys are writing back to, to the office, office and talk about it? Right. Exactly. How many of you guys are adding any, okay, here's a better idea. Well, in my opinion, a better idea, but I'm 47. If you're 27, you think this is a worse idea, but here, there, nor there. How about you have a contract, uh, paper, and a pen in your car, and that you could just literally fill out while you're standing there with the buyers and get real signatures. Just do it right there. Get it done. And then go back in there and present and leave the offer on the uh, countertop and let the sellers know that, or the agents, or, I'm sorry, the seller's agent know that that's where the offer is. You guys cannot assume on the buyer side of things that the listing agent's going to be. <laughs> I mean, God bless listing agents, but you cannot assume that they're going to be experienced. A lot of the listing agents this time of year, I'd say 50% of all the listings out there are had by inexperienced agents. Now, inexperienced agents that ha don't have coaching are sometimes troubled getting offers together because they don't know how to behave. They don't know the rules of the road. They don't know, you know, they are themselves not being urgent. They're themselves the, are the ones that are basically conflict avoiding. Okay, so you're going to have to pick up the ball for them, and you're going to have to be urgent so you are indeed fully representing your buyer that means calling the agent that means getting as much information as you can that means understanding what's important to the i think julie i'm stepping on some of your future points i'll just okay. shut up and we'll go to the next one all right point number 10 <laughs> no okay. problem point number 10 not knowing what other than price oh that was your next point not knowing what <laughs> other right. than price is the most is the most important to sellers well, it might shock some people to know that the stainless steel refrigerator, especially in single-guy houses, is actually more important than price, that they get to keep that thing, okay? Um, you know, we've seen all kinds of stuff between our own career and reports back from coaching clients. You know, some people have all this beautiful decorating or maybe even not beautiful decorating where the, 
the uh, bedspreads and the curtains match and they've got a, a rug that goes together and they just have to keep all that or maybe they want to leave all that swing sets. Tim, do you remember when somebody wanted to move their pet graveyard on one of our listings? That was in the contract. Oh my God, I can't believe you do Including remember that. Including yes, the half-grown maple tree that you know, uh, was over the pet graveyard. And not only that, but it was in the front yard. So I thought that was interesting. So don't assume, you mean, of course, price is important. But right now, giving the sellers a lease back might be actually more important. Giving them time to find something could be critical. You don't know if you don't ask. So find out, other than price, what's most important. Point number 11, the mistake is weakness in strategizing with clients who have to buy and sell at the same time. This is a very common question that's coming up in our premier coaching lately, Tim, and, and you know there is no one single answer to that. I handled this on the coaching call uh, yesterday in great detail, but basically this strategizing, looking at what they're selling and what they're buying, what's more likely to sell faster, right? Are they for sure going to have to compete on the buy side? Or are, you know, is it going to be like that on the list side? Or is it going to be that way on both sides? And what is the average days on the market on the listing and on the buy side? So maybe they have time if they are in, for example, Lynn's market, and they're going to be looking at 200 days on the market before they have to reinvest. Well, they kind of have all the time in the world to be picky and look at a lot of stuff and maybe bid on a few. That person's got more breathing room than someone who's probably going to sell their house this weekend with multiple offers and have to have a, a lease back or some other way of taking care of their own housing. But I see agents make the mistake of not having that conversation at all, and that's what sometimes causes a lot of consternation with both buyers and sellers because they hadn't thought about it ahead of time. That's why they'll either back out of a deal, reject a deal, or not counter because they didn't know what to do. Nobody had run it up the flagpole yet. Anything you want to add to that, Tim? No, I agree completely. I mean, really, it's, it's Julie's first thing that she said was really incredibly important. You guys understand that the first, the, the seller's motivation might not primarily be price. It probably isn't. It's primarily probably convenience. And if you can do a lease back, if you can be more creative, but, you know, here's the bottom line. You have to call the listing agent, and you have to interrogate them and find out what it's going to take to get the offer accepted. Find out what matters to the seller. And if the listing agent is inexperienced, as I'm warning you, you will be dealing with a lot of that this time of year, then they're, they're going to say, well, just submit your highest and best offer. They're going to say things like that because they're all going to be jittery that somehow they're going to somehow give information they're not supposed to, whereas the reality of it is it's their job to basically entice the best offer out of you and your buyer so that they can then basically present the best offer to their seller. They're not realizing by not sharing information by not helping you write a good offer. They're actually not working on behalf of the seller like they think they are. So listing agents, there's a little tip for you. So buyer's agents, interrogate them. Get as much information out of them as possible. Find out what matters to them. You know, Julie gave you some good uh, breadcrumbs to follow there. Julie, you want to do one more point, and I know you need to bail? Yes, you got it. So point number 12, mistake, lack of knowledge of financing. Cash is better than financing. You guys know that. Conventional is better than FHA. Oh, did, did you I skip number 11? Nope, I just did yeah, that one. Just good. did that one. Okay, okay sorry. So point number 12, that's okay. Uh, lack of knowledge on financing. So you guys know that cash usually beats financing. Of course, if it's proof of funds, it has to be cash. Conventional is better than FHA or VA, but you have to know most of your FHA buyers, unless they're like a you know 3% down or gift money type deal, most of them will be better off converting to 5% conventional, still with a low interest rate. 
But if you don't know how to do that or have that conversation and you keep on writing an FHA deal and you're on your 12th offer and you keep getting shot down, well, you're making the mistake, lack of knowledge of financing. You don't know how to fix that problem. And maybe it's not fixable for that client, but you need to have a broader understanding of financing so that you can be writing the type, the appropriate type of deal for your buyers. Does that make sense, Tim? Okay. It does. So listen, Julie has to go to the Premier Coaching Call. All of you listen, Premier Coaching members, this is your hour of power. And Julie, make sure you drill down on that on your call today. Uh, so Absolutely. you guys should all be carving out an hour a day to listen to the podcast for a half hour and then attend the Premier Coaching one-on-one -on -one call every single day. That's where you get direct interaction, where you have your questions answered, where it's you, it's the coach. Make sure you're attending both of those every single day. We've de we do these things every day, back-to-back -back Premier Coaching members, so that you can basically listen to the podcast and so that you can uh, go to the, the coaching every day at the same time, schedule it out. Um, and then you can basically maybe have lunch at the same time. You guys get what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make it easy for you to consume the information around a schedule that's basically designed around you being successful. Um, guys, this is your time. It's June 1st. We told you yesterday was a huge day for expireds. Today is even a bigger day for expireds. So your homework assignment from today's podcast is if you've not requested a free coaching call yet, please go and do that right now at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Number two call expires. Come on, guys. This is your time. You still have enough time to make this your best year ever. You really do. M July, late July, August, September, probably not, if we're being honest. But right now, how many expires were there in your marketplace today? Did you look? Shame on you if you didn't. I mean that I mean that just as I is intended. Shame on you if you do not know how many expires were in your market. Shame on you if you did not call them yet today. What are you waiting for? Your job here is to help other people. Your job here on this planet is to be of service to others, and in this industry is to be of service to people that need your help. Expires need your help. Their listing didn't sell. They need your help. Call them. You're going to make money. That's how it works. If you guys need us for anything, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.